may turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 this morning. All of us have what we call a defining moment. A defining moment when something happened, some event or someone said something to us that kind of got our attention. And things from that moment on were different. Some people call that a watershed issue. And it could be something major in your life, like changed your whole life. It could be something that changed your marriage life. It could be something that changed your job, the way you do your job. Or how you, what you do with your free time. Some of them are big, some of them are limited. But they were defining moments in your life. Can you think of some? I remember as a, as a 30-year-old, a defining moment for me was when I first picked up the New Testament. Never had read the New Testament before, 30 years old. And I read about this man called Jesus. Defining moment for me. Changed my whole life. I remember in October of 1982, in the delivery room, when that nurse handed me that little child, that little girl, ah, I just broke out in tears. It changed my life, my little Renata. I remember in August, September of 1968, the first time I stood up on a surfboard, changed my life. <laughs> Gave me a whole new direction. How about you? Defining moments in your life. Well, this morning we obviously are celebrating a defining moment. The resurrection of Jesus. It defines Christianity, amen? It was also a defining moment for all of Western culture, if not the whole world. Paul says... In 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, just let you don't have to turn there. This, if there is no resurrection, if there is no resurrection, your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, we are false witnesses of God. You know what a false witness is? Liar. Chuck Smith was a liar. Billy Graham was a liar. If the resurrection didn't happen. If the resurrection didn't happen, your faith is worthless. If the resurrection, here's here's one that's hard to grasp. You're still in your sins. You haven't been forgiven. The shame and the guilt of your sins still lays upon your soul. The resurrection didn't happen. All that have died, they're gone. You'll never, ever see them again. Never. And we only have hope in Christ in this life, Paul says, we are of all men most to be pitied. But (laughs) he has risen. He has risen. It was the defining moment in Western culture, 
in the world, and hopefully in your life. Well, in our passage this morning, in John chapter 21, we have an account of some of the Jesus' disciples right after the resurrection. Now, we're not sure how long it took place, but this was after the resurrection. And they've gone back to what they did before they met Jesus. They're back fishing again. However, as the resurrected Christ deals with them, as the story progresses through the chapter, we're going to find that things begin to change because of the resurrected Christ. Now, this story kind of mirrors our experience with the resurrected Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How he dealt with those disciples is how many times he deals with us, even today. Even today. Too often we think about Easter. We've got the flowers, we've got the wonderful worship, and wow, it was a wonderful Easter service, Resurrection Sunday. But my friends, my friends, wait, wait, wait. It's supposed to go on. It's supposed to continue on. It's not just the day. As wonderful as it is, there's something else that's supposed to take place. Defining moment for you, for me. Let's take a look. What happened that day? Verses 1 through 11, the first thing we see is Jesus searches us out when we're wandering away. Jesus searches us out while we're wandering away. Let me read verses 1 through 11. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. He went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered, no, no, we ain't got no fish. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his, on his outer garment for his strip for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, dragging a net full of fish. So when they got out of the land, they saw the charcoal fire already laid, fish placed on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And all there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus searches us out when we're wandering away. Now, after the resurrection, Peter and some of his buddies go back to the old way of life. Now, did they forget everything that Jesus told them? No, no, no. Did they 
put aside what they knew of Jesus? No, no, we're not sure. But for one reason or another, they're back to where they were even before Jesus met them, even before the resurrection. So what does Jesus do? Well, look at the story. He shows up and he asks them, what everybody always asks fishermen, do you got any fish? Did you catch anything? And he says, children, do you have any fish? No, I don't have any fish. So he tells them, throw it on the right side of the boat. They catch a whole bunch of fish. Sounds familiar. He did this before. Before he called them. That's how he got their attention. And after that happened, the first time, he said to them, to Peter and John, from now on, you'll be catching men. But here they are, back to smelly old fish. Why does he do this? He's kind of showing them. He's bringing them back. He's seeking them out. And what he does, he shows them how fruitless their lives are when they go back to not following him. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't rebuke them. There's no rebuke there. There's just, look. And then, when he gives them his word, incredible amount of fish. Now, in Luke 15, Jesus told three parables. Do you remember them? The parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd goes out and finds the one lost. He leaves the 99 and he finds the one. Remember that story? Then the parable, number two, the parable of the lost coin and how the housemaker searches the house until she finds that one lost coin. And the parable of the prodigal son who takes his inheritance and goes, leaves his father in his home to live in a foreign city and live in riotous living until he comes to his senses. Now, Jesus told those parables to religious leaders. And the reason he told them, because they were thinking, you know, you call yourself special, you're the prophet, but why are you hanging around with these tax gatherers and sinners? And he told them to show that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Peter gets it. (laughs) John says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And what does Peter do? Loud mouth Peter, he just jumps out of the boat. He's, He's going for Jesus. We might want to think about that reaction. Because Jesus comes to seek and save that which is lost. Those that perhaps have wandered away, like the disciples. When you see, it's the Lord. Don't pass up that moment. It's the Lord. So the first thing we see in the first 11 verses, Jesus searches out, searches us out when we're kind of wandering away. Notice secondly in verses 12 through 14, Jesus longs to have fellowship with us. Let me read. Verses 12 through 14. 
Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to ask the question, who are you, Lord, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus longs to have fellowship with us. When they get to the beach, guess what they find? He's got the fire going. He's got some fish and some bread. He's made breakfast for them. He says, hey, bring a couple extra fish. Throws them on there. Now, the scriptures, they don't say what they talked about. Did you notice that? All it says is what they didn't talk about. They didn't ask, who are you, Lord? Now, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have sup with him, have dinner with him, have breakfast with him. Now, if you go to that chapter, you'll see that that church, the church at Laodicea, was a church that was rich and thought they didn't need anything. They didn't need Jesus. Hmm. So, what's the point of dining with them? Well, if you go back to Mideast culture, it should be true even today, when you dine with someone, you share kind of what's going on in your life. It's a time of Koinonia, that's what we use the word fellowship. It's a time of talking and commiserating and getting in touch with one another. That's what happens during a meal. That's why it's important for families to eat together on a regular basis. Hey, what happened today? Where are you? What's going on? But the scripture doesn't tell us what they said. It's not, that's not the point. That's not the point of these verses. The point is that Jesus wanted to just spend some time with them. Just spend some time with them. It was just part of what they were doing. They had a fire. They were sitting around on the beach. Jesus wanted... Now, what did they talk about? Well, okay, the Bible doesn't say, well, maybe they talked about... If they're fishermen, they always talked about the trip. They talked about the fishing trip, how it started out so lousy, and yeah, man, it really came... Those of us are fishermen, that's all we talk about many times, fishing trip. Or maybe they talked about coming up from Jerusalem after Resurrection Sunday. And some general things that maybe a little bit later as they were finishing breakfast, they talked about their concerns about the future. Maybe Jesus, as he did sometimes, he was kind of writing something in the dirt with his finger. Can you imagine sitting around the fire? They're just talking. And then perhaps, just perhaps, Jesus said to them, and he talked about his experience as he was growing up and his own thoughts about who he was, what he was. 
he was the oldest son and how he struggled with leaving Mary. It's obvious that Joseph had died earlier on. He was the oldest son and his responsibilities and yet he was feeling his call of God to preach. And so he might have talked about that. But we don't know. But the point that I'm getting at is this was a time just to be with his disciples. Kind of like what we do. I have a buddy, we go surfing oftentimes together. And after surfing, if we have some time, we'll stop at Starbucks and get a cup of coffee. We just sit there and talk. Well, what do we talk about? Usually, what a couple of fools we made of ourselves in the water that morning. Uh, or if we had one of us had a particularly good day, we might say, you're the man. You were the man today. <laughs> or we might talk about a couple of the jerks that were in the water with us. Whatever, whatever. But it was just a time to be together. Jesus wanted to just spend some time. He wanted to fellowship with his disciples. Now, in life, in life, as we grow older, we're all suddenly aware that through this life, we're going alone. There's and, and friends and activities and different things uh, just don't fill it. Don't meet that need. Essentially, we're traveling through this life, something missing. Hmm. Jesus wants to walk with, he wants to be with us. He wants to fellowship with us in this journey that we're on. All of our attempts to fill that void, always come short. Now, if you look in the beginning of the Bible, the Bible says, seems to indicate that the habit of the Lord was at the, in the, during the cool of the day, he would come and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. It was a time of fellowship. doesn't say what they talked about. They just, he was there to be with them. Now, go to the end of the Bible. And the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. That's just the last chapter in the Bible. And it says, the one difference between the old earth and old heaven and the new heaven and new earth, you know the big difference? Is God will dwell among his people. He will actually live here on the new earth. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that was his plan all along to be with his people through the journey of life. And that's what Jesus is doing. He just wanted to be with them. Jesus longs to have fellowship with us. Now, that's what we celebrate this day, this weekend. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through the death and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, we can now find forgiveness of our sins. He took our place. And if we'll put our faith in him, we can now have peace with God and we can walk with God throughout this life. We don't need to be alone. He wants to walk with you. 
He wants to fellowship with you. Next thing we see is in verses 15 through 17. Jesus not only searches us out when we're wandering away, Jesus not only longs to have fellowship with us, Jesus accepts us. Let me read the verses. After breakfast. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said Simon to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. Now, as people, oftentimes we like to see things in the black or white. Kind of, you notice that somebody, you look at people and you want to put them in little boxes. Okay, that person is this way and this person is that way. You have a tendency not to see the gray, but life, as I grow older, I find that that's not true many times. It's not always black or white. There's some grays, things that we don't understand. Let's take our... Uh, our political issues that were going in the country. We have the, we have the conservatives and we have the liberals. But you talk to some conservatives and they're conservative on fiscal matters, but they're kind of liberal on social issues. Or if you find some, you'll find out that they're, they're very conservative on social issues, but very fiscally kind of liberal. Or you talk to the liberals and you find out vice versa. It's not always black or white sometimes. Now, in our spiritual journey, those of us who are Christians, we like to see you're either in or out. You're either going to heaven or you're not going to heaven. Black or white. And then we have some pretty strong scriptures. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you shall not enter or see the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty black or white. You're either in or out. If you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. Apostle John says, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. That that's, sounds pretty black and white to me, Pastor Neil. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get to the Father, trying to get to God through anybody else, you're not going to make it. It's only one way. There's only one way, Jesus Christ. That's pretty black and white, amen? You're either in or you're out. But here's the question. How do you get there? Ah. How do you get to the place when you're in? How do you get to the place when you become born again? How do you get to a place where you have the sun? How do you get through that door, that way? Ah, that's the question. Now, I came to know the Lord December 18th, 1971, in San Clemente, California, in a church called the King's Hacienda. King's Hacienda. That's when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's when I became a follower of Jesus, okay? But as I look back over two or three years before that, I could see the grace of God. I could see 
things that I did, decisions that I made that brought me to that place on December 18th, 1971. There were some things that God did in my life. 1 Corinthians 10, 15 says, but this is Paul's testimony, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace in me did not prove vain, but I labored all them, even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Well, that brings us to our verses. You were hoping I was going to get there sometime. There's lots of interesting stuff in these passages, in this particular passage, but I'm just going to focus on one. Listen to the interaction between Peter and the Lord. The Lord says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I'm your friend. Hmm. So Jesus comes back to him and says, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? The Greek word there is agapao, agape. Do you love me with agape love? Peter comes back the second time and he says, well, you know, Lord, that I really love you as a friend. (laughs) Phileo. We get the word Philadelphia. Hmm. Peter, Jesus comes back to him the third time and he says, this time, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me as a friend? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you as a friend. Now, there's, there's, those words are changed, and there's a reason for that. Obviously, listen carefully, obviously Jesus' goal for Peter was what? You remember what the great commandment was? First great commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first commandment. That's where he wanted to bring him. But Peter wasn't there yet. Peter's answer falls short. Why? Mm, We're not sure. (laughs) He's Peter. Here's the point. But Jesus accepts him right where he's at. Right where he's at. He goes from, my call is that you love me with all your heart, soul, and mind but I'll begin to work with you right where you're at. Jesus accepts us. Now, some of us in our church, some say, well, yeah, that's God chooses us. I I don't have any problems with choosing, God choosing us. I like the word accept, but that's okay. Jesus accepts us. Now, what do I mean by that? Does it mean that you can lead a double life, you know, come to church and then live completely non-Christian life the rest of your your week? No, no, no. That's what I'm not talking about. But my friends, take a look at the universe. You're dealing with a being that you have no conception of. And he'll begin working with you even though perhaps you're not where you belong, even though you have some doubts and fears, even though you might be thinking you're playing games with God, don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? 
He'll accept you just where you're at. And his grace begins to work in your life. Now, how does it get you from where you're at? Well, here. How does it get you from where you're at now to where he wants you? That's the question, isn't it? How do you move from here to there? How does he do that? Well, that's in our story. Did you see? It's in our story. What does he do? The first thing he does, as, they, as we see in the passage, he shows us how vain and empty and, mm, I don't want to use this word, but I will, stupid some of the things that we do and, uh, and how vain and empty they are and how, how fruitless we are unless we listen to his word. Because when they listened to his word, there was fruit, 153 Not just small fish, they were large fish. He allows us to experience the results of our own foolish decisions. I like to say, he lets us marinate. You know what marinate means? Take a piece of meat and stick it in. He lets us marinate on our own consequences of our own difficulty Bad decisions. Have you been marinating? Mm-hmm, possible. I love what the um, AA people say. Alcoholics Anonymous. They say, you have to come to a place where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Think about the prodigal. We go back to the prodigal. Now, did you notice the shepherd had to go to get the sheep? because sheep are really stupid. The coin couldn't find its way back. But the prodigal, a Jewish boy, he's getting ready to eat pig's food. Pig's food. A Jewish boy eating pig's food. And the scriptures say he had what we call an aha moment. He came to his senses. He came to his senses he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I could, I could become a servant. I could eat better than this. And he said, I'm going home. Hmm. Got the coin, got the sheep. But the prodigal son had to see it. He had to see it himself. Peter sees it when John says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And he's out of the boat. Heading for Jesus. So he allows us to marinate in our own troubles. He allows us to see how fruitless our lives are without him. But then, did you notice what else? He showers us with his goodness. Did you see that? Now, when they got to the beach, what happened? There's Jesus. I can't believe you dorks. I mean, did you see what I did for you? Three years I spent with you. Three miserable years and I tried to teach you. You don't listen. I can't believe you. Did you see that? No, 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 no. What do you do? He had already prepared breakfast for them. No, no incriminations. No yelling. No screaming. He showered them with his blessings. That's what God does. That's how he brings us back. 
Now, do you remember going back to the prodigal? So he comes. He's heading back now. He's come to his senses. And he, as he's walking, he's saying, okay, this is what I'm going to say to Dad. Okay, Dad, I've really sinned. And I've really let you down. And just let me be your servant, and it'll be okay. And he starts reciting that to his father. But what does the father do? His father sees him from the porch, runs and embraces him, and he gives him the sandals, the cloak, the golden ring, and he kills the fatted calf, and they have a big party. It's expressive of how God gets our attention. He lets us make fools of ourselves, and then when we come to our senses, he embraces us. He accepts us. Okay. Finally, verses 18 through 23, Jesus gives us direction. Look with me in verses 18 through 23. Jesus gives us direction. Truly I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who's betraying you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? Jesus gives direction. The last thing he talks to Peter, here in this, this incident, he tells him what is going to happen with him, and he tells him, uh, John, what's happening with John is none of your business. You come follow me. Jesus gives us direction. Now, the question always comes up. What should I do with my life? What should I do with my life? What's God's will for my life? That always comes up. And that's especially true for young people. They've got their whole life before them and they're wondering, what should I do? What's God's will for my life? Now, in John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life and life more abundantly. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, the thief is Satan. He wants to destroy your life. Jesus came to give you an abundant life. Now, he's not talking about being rich, making lots of money. But what he's talking about is there's certain things that he has gifted you with, certain abilities, certain talents, that fit with your unique personality. And when we give our lives to Jesus, he brings us to a place where we live a full, meaningful life with purpose. With purpose. Now, how do we find that? Well, sometimes we get very specific. Uh, What school should I go to? Uh, Who should I marry? What job should I have? Uh, where should I live? And I'm not always sure that we'll get specific answers to some of those things, okay? 
But I know, because oftentimes that's his, what I call his secret sovereign will. That's very difficult sometimes to figure out. But I can tell you his moral will sitting in your lap this morning. Here's how to do it. Whether you're talking about getting married or going to school or working a job or how do you, here, here's how to do it. Here's his moral will. It's completely, here's how to do it, he says to us. Well, then, Neil, how do, how do we get direction from the Lord? Okay. Well, he gives us his moral will. But there's two scriptures. You might want to scratch these down in your outline. They offer some real help. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Oh, not that a good one? Second one, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Wow. Well, how does that work, Pastor? Well, I'm not real sure, but in a very wonderful and mysterious way. And none of us do either of those perfectly, amen? But when that's kind of characteristic of who we are and we've given our life to the Lord, we're not leaning on our understanding, always wanting to know his will, the moral will that's found in the Bible, acknowledging him, delighting in him, Oftentimes, as time goes by, he'll put us right in the spot that matches who we are, and he gives us that abundant life. Now, I'm not certainly no example, perfect example of these. But I remember when I left uh, high school and my term of service in the United States Air Force, in my heart, I had this desire, I wanted to be a writer. Eh, but life way back in the 60s wasn't going to happen that way. And so I ended up working for Crucible Steel in Harrison, New Jersey, and then U.S. Steel in Newark, New Jersey, and U.S. Steel in Los Angeles, and then uh, later on became a Christian. And then I looked at my life over the years, and the schooling that he allowed me so graciously to complete, and it was his grace, believe me. (laughs) And that little journey I took. And now, I spend not all of my time, but a majority of my time writing. Writing sermons. Now, I didn't know that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Jesus gives us direction. Okay, kind of wrapping it up real quick. If the resurrection didn't happen, none of this would be true. But it did happen. It did happen. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is always searching us out. He's always 
searching us out because he longs to have fellowship with us and he'll take us right where we're at, right now. He'll take us right where we're at and begin to work with us and then give us direction. Jesus is still working today. Now, here's the trick. When something happens, when you have maybe that defining moment, and somebody says to you, it's the Lord, or some circumstance comes along in life, some thing that says to you, or maybe you're reading the Bible, or maybe it's, You're listening on the radio and all of a sudden you know you have that aha moment and you say in your heart, it's the Lord. Be like Peter. Get out of the boat and run or swim to Jesus. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Because he's come to bring you back. He's come to fellowship. He's come to accept you and begin to give direction to your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you bring us to that moment where we see it's you. We see it's you. You have something for us. You long to have fellowship with us. You long to give us direction. You long to take us where we're at and move us to where you want us to be. May all of the folks here this morning, as we saw this morning as evidence, be in that place where we're already out of the boat and we're swimming towards the beach. We're ready to have fellowship with you, we pray, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.